Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me as always is Matthew McLaughlin, my co-host. Hey, Jeremy. What else are you to me? Hopefully your friend. Well, yeah. Sometimes... Annoyance. Combatant, annoyance. Many things. Yeah, I threw him under the bus and put him on the spot the other day. So it's okay. He might he might do the same to me today. I'm waiting to see. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas will soon be upon us, and we thought it best and right to do an episode about Christmas. I told Matthew one of the things I like about Christmas is the hymns for Christmas are generally speaking very theologically deep. Uh, so we're going to talk about one of the hymns uh, that we often sing, but Matthew's going to read it for us so we know what the hymn's all about. <laughs> all right, the words go like this. O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created. Sing, choirs of angels, sing in exaltation. Sing, all ye citizens of heaven above, glory to God in the highest. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be glory given, word of the Father, laid in flesh appearing. O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. All right. This hymn is a call to worship Christ. It's a call to all the faithful. and any, In other words, anyone who's a believer, anyone who has faith in Jesus Christ, it's a call to them to come and consider Jesus, especially his birth. And even though his birth involves his humility, we see, still see Jesus in this hymn, exalted as the Son of God, the King of Angels, etc. The point of this song is that it's a call to worship Christ, a call to adore him. Now, you know, Thanksgiving, we thank God for what he has given us. In adoration, it's like thankfulness, but it's focused on who God is rather than the gifts he has given. And so this hymn is calling us to that kind of reflection upon Christ. That's why it says, come to behold him. Our pastor just the other day said that to behold means to look and to study and to really consider it, not just glance and go on with your life. We're to come and behold him who was born the king of angels. So there's humility, but we also see majesty. We see his exaltation, even in the humility of his birth. And we're called to come to Bethlehem, not literally, uh, but metaphorically, to meditate on the birth of Christ and the incarnation of Christ into the world. So it's a wonderful hymn. It's a wonderful call to worship. And really, it If you break it down, it shows us five things for which we should adore Jesus Christ. And all of these come from the Bible. So it's a a thoroughly biblical hymn 
calling us to adore the Christ of the Bible. Do you have anything to add before we get into the verses? No, I think we can wait. We think we can talk about it as we get through, go through each of the verses. All righty. So the first thing, as I mentioned in, from the first verse, it says, Come all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, Christ born the king of the angels. So Christ here is proclaimed to be the, the king of angels. We know from the Bible that angels are powerful spiritual beings who are God's messengers. Uh, they're in his very presence. To be the king of angels is, a, is an extraordinary honor to be placed at the head of these powerful spiritual beings. And unlike us, these angels that obey Christ have never fallen into sin. And so they continue to remain holy. But Christ is even above them. Christ is superior to the angels. We see this clearly expounded in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, where, speaking of Jesus, the writer says, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has in it, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The name that they're referring to is Jesus is called the Son. He's the Son of God. The angels are ministers to him. And the rest of the passage bears this out, showing how Christ is superior to all the angels. None of the angels has God ever said to them, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, that's Christ, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. Because Christ is born the king of angels, this powerful spiritual army, we're to come and adore him. While the New Testament doesn't really speak of this much, in the Old Testament, quite often, the Lord is referred to as the Lord of hosts. The idea there is he is the leader of heaven's armies. So even in the Old Testament, we read of Christ being the king of angels, being the Lord of hosts, as he is called in those places. He is the captain of the army of God. And yet he's being born in Bethlehem, a city that would never even we'd never even heard of, probably if it wasn't for Jesus. Right. And even Bethlehem has significance because it was prophesied that that's where the king of Israel, the king of Jew and Gentile, the savior of the world would be born in the Old Testament prophecy. So we the first thing that him calls us to worship is Christ as the king of angels. Right. So I mean and you see how this affects us, if you look at the lines preceding it, when he talks about that, he says, the writer says, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. And the reason why we can be joyful and triumphant is because the king has been born. Right. And so we rest in that. And so sometimes we lose sight of the fact at Christmas that while we celebrate Jesus being born as a baby, he was also the king. And so we have to keep both of those thoughts in our minds and how that affects how we adore Christ, recognize, that we recognize his kingship, even 
as a baby. Right. Because a lot of times people focus on the baby forgetting that the baby stage is only a while. That right. Christ was eternally God and it, that he came in the flesh as a baby and he, he di- lived a righteous life, died on the cross, and rose and is ascended to be seated at the right hand of the Father. The point of his birth is to lead to all those other things. Right. So the birth really points us beyond itself. The birth of Christ is the beginning of all of this. So we don't look at just the birth isolated by itself, even though there's miracles and angels and all kinds of marvelous works of God involved in his birth. The birth of Jesus Christ and his being a child is meant to point us, that's the beginning, that's not the end. Right. So we don't stop there at Bethlehem. We go on to Jerusalem where he was crucified and to the and to the right hand of the Father where he now sits. Right, because dependent upon how you view Revelation, you have the idea that Jesus says he's coming back with riding the white horse as the king with the host of angels to right. set up the kingdom. Right, so <laughs> this is the beginning of the of the king's coming into the world. Right. But he's coming again, and... and and he's still going to be the king of angels at that time as well. The next verse actually comes takes some phrases from the Nicene Creed, or I can't say it's Constant Nicene Constantinople, but I can't say it in the way you're supposed to say it. <laughs> I tried before the podcast. Um, this creed is part one of the creeds that came out because of the Trinitarian controversies in the ancient church, and this is lifted almost verbatim from it. I'll read a short portion from where it speaks of Christ and gets those from the Nicene Creed. So it starts out, I believe, and then I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. So, there's several phrases. God of God, light of light, eternal. Uh, Well, the creed doesn't say exactly that. It does say that Christ was begotten before time. The point is that it was eternal. He's very God, that's mentioned in the creed, and he's begotten, not created. The idea of all of these phrases is to illustrate what is called the generation of the Son. Now, we don't have a lot of time to develop this, so if you're interested, we did a, we did a podcast on what, about eternal functional subordination of the Son, EFS. Uh, I think it's called What is Wrong with EFS?, uh, you can go back and listen to that for more background on what we're gonna, what I'm going to say. But the idea is, because we Christians, we believe in a trinity, we believe that there's one God and that there are three persons of which this God is consists. So we talk about the oneness of God, but there's got to be then something that distinguishes 
the persons of the Trinity. And that thing that is these relative relative properties, right? Right. So the relative properties are is that the Father is unbegotten, the Son is begotten, and the Spirit is it, the Spirit proceeds. But these are the things that make distinguish the Father from the Son, the Son from the Spirit, the Spirit from the Father, and so forth. Okay. Eternal generation is important because it shows both Christ's equality with God and yet a distinction between him and the Father, okay? So when we think of generation, it's a father generates a son through a natural process. The father is first chronologically, then the son comes second. We can't carry this idea, that's not what the creed means when it talks about generation. It doesn't mean that the father was first and then he generated his son. That is a heretical idea. The father has always been the father and the son has always been the son. So the generation is eternal. It's not a chronological thing that we're talking about, but a logical thing. The father is the principle and and the son derives his himself from the Father. The point is that the Father and the Son both share the same nature of God. So he's God of God. So the second God, the of God, is speaking of the Father. He comes from God the Father, but not in a chronological way because it's eternal, okay? This is just a logical order. And then light of light, John's gospel the letters of John talk about Christ being the light of the world, talk about God being light and in him is no darkness at all. Jesus isn't something different than the Father in his nature, his essence, or being. He is light from light or light of light. He's still light, but his light comes from the Father. It goes on to say he's begotten, not created. This is a direct reference to a controversy that was going on the time with the Arians. The Arians say there was a time when the sun was not. There was a time when the sun did not exist. So he was created. What the creed is saying when it says begotten, not created, is that no, he was generated by the Father, eternally generated, so that he's of the Father, but the God did not create him. There was never a time that the Father wasn't the Father. There was never a time when um, the Son wasn't the Son. You can think about it this way. If you have a Son, you are a Father the moment that Son is conceived or that Son is born. You're a Son the moment you are conceived or the moment that you're born. Since Jesus was eternally generated, God has always been the Father and Christ has always been the Son. And this doesn't mean any inequality. They share the same essence, the same being. They share Godness. Whatever it means to be God, Christ and the Father share it equally. That's why he's God of God. Okay? Hopefully that makes sense. And like I said, if it doesn't, you can go back and listen to the EFS episode. And if you have questions, we'll give an email address at the end of the podcast. You can contact us on Facebook, and 
we'd be happy to do an episode or just answer your question, uh, whichever is necessary. But the point of all this is to show that Jesus is God in the flesh. That's what he's saying. He's not a demigod. He's not a created being. He is very God. Very God means truly God. He really is God. No diminishment, no subordination between him and the Father. Whatever God is, Jesus Christ is completely and fully. There's no deficiency in Jesus Christ when it comes to his nature as God. Which makes the other phrase in this passage even more astounding. When he says he abhors not the virgin's womb. The God who created the world. God of God. Light of light. The Son of God, begotten, not created, humbled himself to be born of the Virgin Mary and to come into our sinful world. And he lost none of his deity when he did that. He didn't abhor the Virgin's womb. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't see himself as too good for that, that he was above that, even though he really was. <laughs> He didn't abhor the virgin's womb, but instead he took on flesh and dwelt in the womb of a young woman and was born in this sin-filled world as the king of angels and God of God, light of light, the begotten, not created son of God. Any other thoughts on that, Matthew? Just Clarifications, that. maybe? <laughs> no, I think that, again, I think it's vitally important that we make sure that we hold both sides of this hypostatic union in tension and in balance so that we must con consistently recognize the divinity while at the same time consistently recognizing the humanity with the understanding of the tension that we don't understand exactly how they work yet we trust that they work so that Jesus, as God of God, light of light, begotten, not created, chose to take upon himself humanity for our benefit, for our good, while at the same time remaining God, and like you said, remaining that, the king of angels. And when you just lay it out like that, should cause us then to, as the chorus says, like we've been talking about, come and adore him, that God saw fit to endure everything that comes with humanity even even though he was god from the beginning and that should just cause adoration i think again in the midst of all of the this and the that the hustle the bustle the presence the everything else sometimes i think we just fly past what christmas what the incarnation actually means and we need to slow down for a minute and just think about what Jeremy just explained. And hopefully, it should cause two things to happen. One, your head should hurt because it makes no sense. And two, it should cause your heart to, be, to swell with thankfulness and adoration. And it's no wonder that the next verse it doesn't say anything about Jesus per se. But it calls on the angels of heaven, all the citizens of heaven, so that 
the entire the angels that are in heaven, the entire church triumphant, the church that is now in heaven, it calls every creature in heaven and earth to sing glory to God because of this. Right. <laughs> that's that's the exciting that's how exciting this good news is. That all of heaven is called on to rejoice in the good news of God of God, light of light, the begotten, not created Son of God coming into the world to save sinners. Heaven is called on to rejoice in that as well. And if heaven is called on to rejoice, then certainly the faithful here on earth ought to come and adore the one whose praises all of heaven and earth sing. Christmas is an, is an exciting time. Amen. So then the last verse points out three different things about Christ. Uh, the first two will go relatively quickly through. First it says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee. So here it's calling Jesus Lord. When he came into the world, he was the Lord. There's two things that we... Lord can refer, because this is speaking the New Testament, so it's Greek, okay? Right. But the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The Jews did not write the name of God, Yahweh, or sometimes pronounced Jehovah. They didn't write that name out of reverence for God. They didn't want to use the Lord's name in vain. So instead, they would write the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord or Sovereign One, right? So the point of this could be saying the Lord, the Sovereign Lord of all earth, has has arrived and we're greeting him. But Lord is also used in the Old Testament. Instead of saying the divine name of God, it's you, it's it's written in all capital letters. So it it could also be referring to the fact that this is God in the flesh and we're greeting him as he comes into the world. And both things are true. I don't know what the intention of the original author of the hymn was, but both things are true. And so we consider when we come, when we meditate on what happened at Bethlehem, and that when we come to adore Christ, we're worshiping the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, God himself in human flesh. That was born on that happy morning. Next, he's called Jesus, and he says, Jesus to thee all glory be given. Jesus is is the proper name of our Savior, uh, the historical person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name. That name means God will save. In Matthew's accounting of the nativity of Christ, he, sa- he says that his name will be Jesus, for he will take away the sins of, his pe- of God's people or something to that effect. So even this name points to God's saving work and what he's doing on Christmas. So on Christmas, we reflect on, on these other things we said about Christ, but we also can reflect that he is l- the Lord Jesus and all that that means as well. Anything about that before we go on to the next one? Just the the one thing I will say is, and we'll come back to this at the end, I think, that phrase, born this happy morning, it's the reason why it's happy is because 
the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the universe, has appeared. That that is what produces the causes the morning to be happy, not anything else. And so, again, that should set our frame of reference as we head towards Christmas. That Christmas is happy because the Lord, our Savior, has appeared. Right. So then, the the final statement about Jesus is in verse four. He calls him calls him the Word of Father, now in flesh appearing, or as Matthew's weird version says, late. In flesh appearing. This comes from the Gospel of John. I'll read the first four verses and then skip down to verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has over has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The hymn points us to the Gospel of John, to Christ being being the Word from the beginning. Again, this it doesn't mean that Christ had a beginning, but it means that the Father and the Son together in the beginning of the creation of the world were together. They existed before the world was created. And this this is a timeless, eternal existence. So again, we're seeing God and the Father being equal in, their, in the fact that they're being eternal. So Jesus couldn't be created. There's no way we can say that he was created because he existed before God began his creation. He was not part of that creation. The word of God was with God. I already said that, but um, the, the author makes it very clear here that the word was with God. And the word was God. Again, showing Jesus' equality with God the Father. That they're, they're equal in what it means to be God. If God is omnipotent, Christ is omnipotent. If God is all-knowing, Christ is all-knowing. If God is merciful, Christ is merciful. So whatever you can say about God, you can say about Jesus Christ. It goes on to talk about how God made everything through Christ so that nothing that was made, all, nothing that was made, anything that was created, was p- created by God through Jesus Christ. So again, we're getting back to this, that Christ is the eternal creator of the world. And we read in John's gospel that he came into the world as a light and the darkness. It was so, the weird thing, one of the strangest things about the gospel of John is it calls Jesus the light, the light of the world, right? Right. But he sent John, said John's not the light, but he's to point out the light. That's how dark the world was that you have to point out a light. That's how unused to the world was of seeing the light. Their eyes were acquainted their eyes were acquainted with darkness and they couldn't perceive the light. It had to literally be pointed out to him by John. If you can see in a light and you're in a dark room and the light comes on, you don't need somebody to point it out to you. 
This is how dark in sin they were. And when that creator came, he went to his own, his own people, people who should have known, and they didn't receive him. And then verse 14 tells us this word, this eternal creator of the world, who created the world together with the Father, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see his glory. We see that he's full of grace and truth. So he is the word of the Father who's come into the world on that happy morning. And we're called to adore him as the word of the Father as well. I'm at a loss. (laughs) My words are gone, Matthew. It's your turn. (laughs) So as we, we started with a macro view of this hymn, and then we spent this time looking at it micro, phrase by phrase, but now as we come to the conclusion... I think it's important for us to look, go back to the macro, back to the wide lens, and to see it in, in its context, what it's calling us to, is Jesus, based solely upon who he is, not about what he does, not about what he gives us, not about what he provides, because of who he is, that alone is cause for us to adore him, to provide adoration towards him. I think it's easy for us to, in in the way we live our lives, to lose sight of the fact that simply simply him being who he is, is all that's necessary for our lives to consistently and constantly adore him or proclaim his majesty. It's easier for us to do that when he provides us stuff, when he takes care of us, so he does, which are all things we should adore him for and should be grateful and thankful for. But that's not necessary for us to adore him. Simply his character in and of itself is what it should be. Right. And so if he if he never gave us a thing, right. we should still adore him as all of these things that we just discussed. Right. And so I think whether you're in the habit of practicing Advent or not, I think it's a good thing as we we release this episode about six days before Christmas, sometime in this week, stop and just spend some time thinking about the greatness of Jesus. And, uh, go ahead. I'm just saying, and just who he is, and then allow that, allow that truth to soak into your heart and then let your heart and enlarge your heart so that you then your mouth proclaims praise, whether that's through song or prayer or just in conversation. And it's good to do all that. Uh, Matthew's especially talking about privately adoring Christ or with your family adoring Christ. You want to do that, but go to church. Yes. <laughs> Don't skip church. Correct. If your church is one of those foolish churches that's canceling church on Sunday morning so that the band can rest and everybody can just have a good time with family, you're missing the point. Go to church. Uh, Christmas is about adoring Christ. It's about reflecting on the one who came and who he is and what he's done for us and for our salvation. It would be a real shame to... Uh, skip church on that very day. To me, when Christmas is on Sunday, it's exciting. I'm glad it's on Sunday because that means I go to church on Christmas. And our church is the Two Rivers Community Church. Matthew will give the information at the end. 
We have a Christmas Eve service, and we also have a Christmas morning service. And we encourage everyone who listens to us, as long as you're in the area, that you'd come and join us, and we'll adore Christ together there. Um, get your kids lots of presents. Eat as much food as you can take. Have a great time with your family and friends. Uh, enjoy the season, but not at the neglect of adoring Christ. Do so privately as a family, but come to church. Worship Christ with a group of fellow believers. Maybe you'll learn something about Christ that you would have never learned on your own. God has many gifts that he gives that you can only get in corporate worship. You need to, you need to be there to get them. So come and adore Christ on Christmas um, at Two Rivers Community Church if you're close, and at, at your church if you have a church home. So as we come to the conclusion, we, we, we leave you with two thoughts. One, adore Christ Jesus the Lord. And secondly, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This will be the last podcast for the year. We'll take a few weeks off for Christmas and the New Year, and then we'll be back in January with more opportunities for us to have conversations about spiritual things. So we thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to questions, comments, and even dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where we're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living.